Welcome to Executive Stories, a podcast series hosted by me, Brad Finney. Come on a journey with me as we explore not just the businesses, but the personal lives, the backstory behind remarkable directors and senior executives. Today's episode on Executive Stories, I'm joined by Katrina Donaghy. Katrina is one of the most energetic and effusive speakers uh, and people that I've interviewed on the show so far. She's so bubbly and um, passionate about what she's doing. Katrina is the AC, uh, a co-founder, I should say, of uh, Civic Ledger. Civic Ledger is a blockchain company seeking to find solutions to public problems around delivering public services to um, the public. So. The blockchain underpins all of those solutions. Katrina gives us a really great insight as to what the blockchain is, how it can be used in these particular use cases, and trying to demystify a couple of things about it as well, because Katrina doesn't have a pure background in technology. She's like us. Um, So that's a really interesting part of the conversation that we get into. And then we have a really great chat about growing up finding your way, finding your tribe, being true to yourself, and having a bit of faith that it'll work out in the long run. So I think that we've all been there before, and you're going to love this episode as much as I did. Katrina, welcome to Executive Stories. Thank you. Um, we're both sitting here with beaming smiles on our faces. <laughs> it's relatively early in the morning, so I think that's a good sign. I've already had my coffee, so it's okay. It must be because we're here to talk about your story, your story as a co-founder at Civic Ledger, um, and Civic Ledger is a is a blockchain-based technology company. Um, one thing I wanted to tackle straight up is the blockchain. Now, when we first met, you made a comment about you cannot wait for the blockchain to be like email, where no one questions how your email got sent, and we kind of understand what the blockchain is. Why is the blockchain considered so complicated by many people and how long and what's it going to take for us to get to that point where we all just get it and accept it? Well, that's a good question. I think it's interesting because right now we're in the month of October and on the 31st of October will be nine years since Satoshi Nakamoto's paper came out, which started to describe the, the early beginnings of blockchain technology. And most people will, would have heard of the word Bitcoin and cryptocurrency because it's now a tipping point, what with it sitting at five and a half thousand US dollars a BTC. Um, so I think what's happened is that a lot for a long time it's been about sales talk. You know, it's about the big companies getting online, sort of trying to actually create an opportunity to sell something that maybe, maybe actually will change the world. And underneath all of that has been a whole community of coders that have just got on with it. You know, have worked really hard to build the code to actually do the standards and the protocols and build that community while there's been that other layer. So I'm now seeing, um, obviously, a tipping point of what blockchain technology is. So now we are having to go back and explain, you know, what is a blockchain? What is a blockchain? And why should we care? But you are right. We're actually, we actually, as a community, are going, when when do we stop talking about this and actually just see it being built? Yeah, and is that the point, seeing it being built? 
is seeing people that can get their hands around it and really, apart from Bitcoin, you know, yes. these practical purposes and uses of it, like Civic Ledger. Yes. Yeah, so we, I guess that's, we are actually, we as, as a blockchain company, we, we understand that we need to go in there and educate. We understand that, that's absolutely critical. But I think also you need to self-educate yourself. Like if you are in a position, uh, whether it be government, whether it be private sector or any industry that we know that this technology is going to have massive disruptions, it's your role if you are a leader and a decision maker to self-educate. Get yourself out there, go find out, go, go to your meetups, go ask, get your people asking the question. Don't just rely on us to come in there and, and do a consultancy for free because that's mm. what we get asked to do. And then, then you'll go and wait for somebody else to do it first. Um, we're seeing, we just got back from China on the blockchain uh, delegation over there with Austrade and ADCA and Standards Australia. And, you know, it was really quite overwhelming to see a country that has banned ICOs and cryptocurrency exchanges, but are investing heavily, heavily in blockchain technology. And um, we're to the point where you go to incubation spaces like here at Fishburners and people are working, developing solutions, not just doing proof of concepts or pilots, they are doing blockchain solutions. And so when we got back to Australia, you know, it's back to normal, you know, I'd look at it, maybe we might do something. So, hmm. Do you, do you think that because they're, the, the cryptocurrencies are use the blockchain to be facilitated, that people uh, struggle to get their heads around the blockchain? Because when you think of traditional currency, you don't think about, well, traditional currency can solve all these ownership issues. And they go, well, how could you be a currency and have a technology? You know, yeah. it's, it's all a little bit too much. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good point because a lot of people get confused and think Bitcoin is blockchain, blockchain is Bitcoin. Mm. That's not the case at all. So blockchain is a layer. It's a data layer in a normal stack um, that provides the, the, eco or the, the environment for a digital asset to be moved around like Cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is a digital asset. Um, so it's an AP, it's an app. Um, so if you think about it, Bitcoin as an app, the blockchain as this the layer that enables a transaction like a Bitcoin transaction to occur. So they're completely different. Completely. And I think that's one of the biggest problems. We have to have a lot of we have this conversation all the time. And there's somebody getting quite quite big in our community. We sort of go Hmm, does blockchain have a communication problem? Does blockchain have an image problem? An image problem. <laughs> and the answer is absolutely. A bit like lawyers have an image problem. <laughs> <laughs> we think that it does because because it is, as we talked about, it is back to 1994 when you can go back, when you can go on YouTube and if you do a Google search and 1994, the internet, and all this amazing stuff pops up like people sitting there going, hmm, so what is this thing called the internet? And what's that thing, that A thing between the email? And we look at that now and we laugh hysterically. Mm. We just go, are you kidding me? We had these conversations. So that's what it's like now. So when people go, so please tell me what blockchain is. And we have to go, okay, it's this, this, this. It's a data layer. It's underpinned by cryptocurrency, that it, a cryptographic to enable a peer-to-peer -peer transaction to occur that's transparent and immutable. And they go, okay. And why should we care? And we go, well, think about it. How do you know where your information comes from? How do you know your, where your data's come from? How do you verify it? We're so overwhelmed with uh, fake news, uh, bungled elections, 
um, virals, you know, things like that. And we know that once that information out there and it's fake, it's very difficult to come back and, and reclaim that out and sort of say, no, this is the truth. So where we like think that this is going to be a difference is that now we will be able to verify where information comes from. We'll be able to validate it. And therefore, once we actually get validation and verification, it creates this thing called trust, which is what we get so excited about. Yes, yes. I've listened to some podcasts recently on um, creating cryptocurrencies and that trust element. Just, just on the cryptocurrency point, though, um, there's, there's, you're sort of saying that the Bitcoin is not the blockchain. No. So, um, and, and you have to work with me on this because it's going to come into Civic Ledger. <laughs> I'll, I'll get it there eventually. Um, but so Power Ledger has just done um, a massive ICO raise. Yes. Now, Power Ledger's core business is a blockchain business. It's not, it's core business is not to sort of like create a currency to make a whole heap of money. It wants to help sort of like transfers of energy amongst people. And there's a... Um, Another one called Kenya, which is actually just I read this morning, has, is trying to raise something like $2 million um, through, through a, an ICO. Can you be a blockchain tech, blockchain company and not raise money through an ICO? Yes. Like is Civic Ledger, is Civic Ledger, and this is going to work yeah, with it, is Civic, yeah. is the Civic Ledger, because it's a blockchain company, does it need to go and say, oh, great, I want to raise some money, I'll just create my own cryptocurrency and we'll go and raise some money and okay. we can then go and do what we're going to do? Okay, you just... You just put a lot of, a lot of, a lot of information into that one little question. Okay, first of all, first foremost, yes, Power Ledger is a blockchain company based out of Western Australia, led by Dr. Gemma Green, who is um, an extraordinary woman who has taken Power Ledger along with her incredible team on the first. Well, there was then they're not the first Australian company that has done an ICO. There was another amazing company called Veridictum in Sydney that solves the problem of illegal download of film. They also launched their ICO at the same time as um, Power Ledger. Now, just for the listeners, an ICO is an initial coin offering. Thank you. It's like a, you could describe it as an initial public offering, but there is a difference. It's whereby when you do an IPO, you go through the stock exchange and you have to when you actually issue shares, it means that whoever buys your share has an equity stake in your company. You have a voting right, you have the ability to trade that asset, whatever. And you have a deep interest in, you know, you have the ability to vote the board in and vote them out and da 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 da. With an initial coin offering, it's not the case at all. You actually are there, basically, you exchange cryptocurrency for a token that has value in that company. And the purpose of the company is to ensure that they sustain or increase the value of your token based on their white paper and what they're going to do with their innovation. So, and is that what the white paper is? It's talking yes. about their their, yes. their business. Yes, it's basically yeah. a. Yep. It is. It's it's basically their offering to the to the public to say they're prospectus this is who, in a way. Yeah. But they call and, it a white paper. Yeah. Yep. And that's basically saying who they are. What problems are they solving? Mm -hmm. Why? What our roadmap is? And this is our team. With Power Ledger, yes, they are an Australian company that is solving the problem of peer-to-peer -peer energy trading between community, between customers. So they're decentralizing the idea of renewable energy trading. So right now, if you produce energy through your solar, you have only one option, and that is to feed it, in. Feed it back to the utility at a very small price. Mm -hmm. What Power Ledger is proposing to do is create a new marketplace for the trading of that energy. You can trade it between you and your neighbor, but what you are actually doing is getting best price 
for that renewable mm -hmm. energy based on market dynamics and things like that. So it's called decentralization of, of energy. There's another company in Brooklyn called LO3, uh, LO3 Energy, which were the first to do this process. Um, they do microgrids. And that was because of the, the big storm that went through and they realized that was Storm Sandy. It obliterated um, Brooklyn. And they realized that anything that was centralized, whether it be energy, utilities, becomes a risk because once the node is taken, once this energy source is taken down, everyone's basically stuck. So Power Ledger is probably in the, is in the same realm of them. But did they have to raise their own cryptocurrency to do what they're no. doing? No, no, no. It's not cryptocurrency. It's a token. It's a token. It's okay. a token, but it's backed by cryptocurrency. So if you want to be an investor yep. in or a person who's interested in Power Ledger, you basically have to do the thing like get your wallets and all that sort of stuff. But you're directed to a site where you will exchange what we call fiat, mm -hmm. which is your Australian dollar for a cryptocurrency, whether it be Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and then you use that Ethereum, Bitcoin or Litecoin to purchase tokens from PowerLedger. They have an issuance of a cap yep. and you have to hold on to that. And once they start delivering the project, once they start to get out there and start doing the work, then you can potentially put the token on an exchange and based on the value, you can actually exchange that. Ah, okay. So let's then it'll be a I think it's power token or something like that. A power token that, that's and then you can and exchange that for value in different types of yeah. fiat or, or fiat. Other, <laughs> yeah, fiat is mis yeah, you yeah. always have to traditional currencies. Traditional currencies. Um, but Power Ledger did raise thirty four million dollars, and it's really important to make this clear is that they did it. Um, they yeah, the regulations sort of kept well followed them. Because ASIC basically released a, yep. a calling on the ICOs after Power Ledger or while Power Ledger was doing theirs. Um, their $34 million was an extremely high success in Australia. It mm. was huge. But in the world, no. Massive, massive failure. What's a big one worldwide? Well, I believe, um, I remember when I was in New York for Consensus and Brave, which is a browser, that they did theirs. And I think they raised in something like $30 million in 30 minutes or something like that I can't don't quote me but I just remember some obscene amount of money was raised on the basis of uh, what they do yeah so it's really interesting though when you think about it that a business which uses the blockchain as its core offering peer-to-peer -peer transfer of excess mm -hmm. energy would use the blockchain to raise money to fund itself because um, because it, traditional tra traditional methods of raising capital are, are disrupted you know, when we yeah, think completely. about completely. So when we think about an IPO and a match and how much effort a startup needs to go through to raise capital, whether it's early stage, pre-seed, VC, all that sort of stuff, you have to dilute your equity to gain capital to 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 do what you do. When you actually do an initial coin offering, there is no dilution of equity at all. Correct. So you're able to get on with it without diluting and getting other people who may not have a deep appreciate or deep passion for what you're doing to come in there and start changing the way your business mm. is structured. And it's a very different paradigm for investors though because they're not getting that say on it's as a, a shareholder. Well, it's and but, but we see it as a democratisation. So for people who have never really been able to actually feel that they can participate in a cause, whether mm. it be renewable energy because of our policy situation in this country, it's basically saying... You as, a, as, a, as an individual 
can participate in something that is so disruptive that's going to change the way utilities have to operate, whether you be a water utility, an energy utility, anything that's delivering public services, regu public service regulated markets. This is a stand up recall, say, you may not, the Australian government or whatever may not be coming forward with policy because of various interests, but what the consumer is doing is making a choice. And this is the ability for you to participate in something that otherwise you may not be able to. And it's really great to see, though, that they had such a success in Australia for this, because it shows Absolutely. that there's a ground, there's a, there is a groundswell. There is a huge groundswell for this. And everyone that's listening is probably thinking, you're at the cutting edge. So yes. I just want to sort of change a gear a little bit and go, okay, so you're, you're a, you're a, you're a co-founder at Civic Ledger, you're working in the blockchain. If people must think, what does your day look like? Because if I, if, if, if I was to be interviewing someone else um, who has a, a, a bricks and mortar business, for example, you know, you could probably just go, I have a fairly good idea what their day or their week might look like, you know, because we get their businesses. Can you walk us through what, say, a, a day or a week, I'm not really sure which is the right time frame, kind of looks like when you're a co-founder in, in, a, in a blockchain company? Oh, look, it's... it's I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think um, it is crazy. Um, you don't, I guess, oh, how do I describe? Like if I was to say what I did last week, you'd just go, really? And I'd go, yeah. So we, <laughs> <laughs> go and tell us, what, what, what happened? Okay, so we've been very fortunate. Um, we very, very fortunate. I guess this is, again, because we've been working so hard of working up, you know, our position in the market within Australia is... Um, Again, it, it depends on how courageous or brave or forward-thinking um, customers are. So SE Water in Melbourne... Um, and this is probably a useful bit, though, so I'd interrupt about you sort of telling us a little bit more about Civic Ledger and who your customers yeah, are. Yeah, who our customers yeah, are. So, so if, just weave that in so, if you can. Okay, so if, if I was to describe what Civic Ledger does, we we are a CivTech um, blockchain-based company whereby we're actually looking at how government, um, public sector regulated markets can rethink the way they structure markets for the future. So if, you're, if you think about it two ways, you can think about it from a local government perspective. Um, you're a resident um, or, a or a rate payer and every quarter you may get an entitlement such as a waste voucher or a parking voucher or something like that. Now that's a paper-based asset. So once council issues that to your address, it's not to you, it's to your RP address, um, the relationship between that paper or that asset and council has been unbound. They don't know where it goes. All they know is that they're trusting the postal system to deliver that voucher to you. Yep. But it's paper. And then you can actually discard it or you can use it or like most people do, they yeah. put it into other marketplaces, like yeah. Facebook. Oh, do they really? Oh, yes, they do. I, I, when, you, when you said marketplace, I was thinking, oh, I think I gave a voucher to my mum. People do that too, but people <laughs> but, are... Okay, so there, there is a, a, a market out yeah, there for these there things. is a market because, yeah. again, the citizens will self-organise. Yeah. If they don't find that they're getting the service from government, they'll actually find another way to self-organise mm -hmm. okay. and actually create value in new ways. So you'll go on Facebook and you'll actually see waste vouchers for sale. So what happens is that you've got citizens or ratepayers, customers trading those assets, those paper things, 
without the knowledge of council. So it becomes what we call opaque. Mm -hmm. And it's because council's issued a paper thing that loses itself in the supply chain. Mm -hmm. What we do is that we assist local governments, state governments, federal governments to rethink those assets because we call them assets because they're, they're called commodities basically because they've got value in them. So yeah. for, for, for council to issue subsidies of waste vouchers, it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars and all the administration that goes into it is insane as well, ridiculous. So there's a lot of friction in that experience. So what we do is we show local government how to take that paper and turn it into a token. So we were talking about tokens before with yes. Power Ledger. Yep. It's a token. It actually represents the value of that voucher. So through computer code, we can actually code that token to give it attributes. What it is, when it's been issued, who it's been issued to, and the conditions to which that token can be used. And it's digital. And yep. we're so used to that. Like you go and go book an air flight. What happens? You get your you get a representation of your boarding pass into your phone. Yes. And is that how it works here as well? So you have yeah. your wallet, you create yeah, you your create wallet, wallet and you go to the dump. And yeah. And you've got your QR code. Yep. And it's a digital version. So as soon as it's scanned, the value has been basically exploded. It's gone. Yep. So it can't be double spent. Okay, so that's a really great, easy to understand example. Thank you, because <laughs> some people don't understand you with the blockchain. So SE yeah, so, so, so you're going back to what you're... What, yeah. what, 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 I'll just, just, just say the benefit of doing it this way in terms yeah. of digitalizing something asset is because once it's actually turned into a digital representation, you're able to track it, you're able to see when it's been traded, you can actually take a clip, so council can take a clip when it's traded, um, but you also are able to see when it's been used, how it's been used, and so it's date time. It's got a what we call a date stamp and time mm -hmm. stamp on it. So it gives you verification of data. So instead of just getting random data, yep. you're able, that data is now tied back to a verified transaction. So when we talk about big data, which is great, but what we don't know about data is the quality of that data because we can't verify it. Okay, and we enhance, we really turbocharge the quality. Yeah, exactly. So therefore, once the data is verified, then you're actually putting good data into your big data scenarios and you're getting better public policy outcomes because the data is actually that. It's good data. It's, ver yeah. it's verified. So with SE Water, um, there was a couple of guys in, in SE Water who started to learn about blockchain. And they've been given an amazing opportunity in Victoria whereby there's a whole big piece of land that they're redeveloping. It's what we call green green space, I guess. And these guys have gone, well, you know, what if we could actually incentivize residents to trade rainwater? You know, we they can harvest it because mm -hmm. water tanks are now quite smart. They've got sensors and all that sort of stuff on them now. And they'll put third pipes into buildings and things like that. So because these guys have gone, hey, you know, let's go find out what a utility of the future looks like um, and let's go experiment. So we were very fortunate because of the work that we were doing with the Australian government on our water ledger project for the Murray-Darling Basin, we got to connect in with some great water people in Melbourne. And one of them is Marsden Jacobs Associates. And they approached us and said, look, SE Water have got this great opportunity. How would you like to partner? You guys know how to do a trading platform on blockchain. We know water. Let's put our team together. And LO3 Energy is in that space as well. 
So we were fortunate, they selected us as a consortium and now we're working with SE Water to talk to them about how we can set up a micro trading platform for residents to start trading rainwater. Um, and it's really funny, it's, it's, it's going to morph into a few things, but ideally once you think about sensors and Internet of Things and artificial intelligence and that sort of stuff, it won't be humans that will be trading that water. It's going to be buildings. Mm -hmm. So buildings... It will happen automatically. Yeah, exactly. So buildings will be able to work out how much water is in the system and base it on some AI and some great data that's come from the Bureau to work out rainfall or expected rain and stuff like that. And then they'll be able to do some calculations on predictive analysis and say, right, we're going to need to... We've got some surplus water. Who's up for it? Mm -hmm. And let's put it into the marketplace and see what value we get back. So this is the. So you're going down, having these conversations, and helping them um, tease out and really articulate. Yep. You know, this is not just a utility yep. company of the future. This is potentially now. Yep. We've got a and few things that need to happen, yep. maybe hardware-wise. Well, you know, how do we? Well, yeah. I mean, we we know how it's. I mean, because we. But that's their business, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. They're, they're the utility owner. Yep. You're the one that's making yep. the, the trading happen. Yeah. So what we do is we actually educate them about the tech. So we use yeah. the Ethereum blockchain. Um, because of the ability to do smart contracts and tokens. So we basically token water. So we give uh, a volume of water, where it's come from, um, its attributes. So that token has all those little bits in there that will actually tell you provenance, verification of data, where it's come from, where it's gone to. It's very exciting. And this all happens automatically. And you're able to put payment systems into the process as well. So when there's a trade, you get a payment as well. And so you, Civic Ledger does all of that? Yeah. Yeah, and so do you have like a team of developers yep. that does that with you? Yeah, so we've got, um, again, this is probably another demissing. I'm sort of like doing some myth busting here. Yeah, but... <laughs> that's the idea. <laughs> it's, a, it's perceived that, you know, that everyone can develop blockchain solutions, and that's not true. Yeah. We probably have, and I know when... This is and this is admission from Japan when we were over in when we were over in China, and Japan were very brave. They stood up in this in this you know the biggest conference in the world, and stood up and said, "Look, we know that we've only got about thirty developers in our country that can do blockchain. Mm -hmm. Thirty, and we're like going, yeah, it's about right for Australia too. So if anyone starts to put their shingle out and say that they know how to develop blockchain, uh, just look under the surface a bit because." Yep. They may not. Um, it is a really, it's an acquired skill. It's been built up by the community. So Japan have realized that if this is going to be the most disruptive technology of the future, they're going to have to build the capacity of their population. So they're taking a very proactive approach and saying, right, we're going to collaborate with co-working facilities. We're going to bring in private sector funding and we're going to start training up our developers so they're going to be the best mm -hmm. and you sort of go love that to happen here in this country so we've only got about maybe 30 to 50 developers in this country that know how to do it how to do and they're all part of startups around this country at the moment and so they must be in hot demand to allow people like Civic Ledger, Power Ledger and everyone to deliver the products yes, that yeah, these they... guys um, yeah the developers and you'll find yeah they are they've Yes, yeah, they are. Imagine, imagine they're bloody expensive as uh, well. Well, now they're actually having, yeah, their value is quite um, mess. It's sitting quite up there at the top of the market. Yeah. So we have, there's four of us in Civic Ledger. So I do, um, I basically have come from a public sector background. So I use my knowledge to do the translation of the tech back to public sector. Yeah. 
So I do a lot of the business development and partnerships and, and leads and things like that. Our CEO, Grantly Mayles, he um, is one of, well, he used to be the Chief Digital Officer for the Victorian Government as well as the South Australian Government. And he consults widely around the world to government around blockchain solutions and other disruptive technologies. And Victor Yang is our founding chair, and he has a company called Sapien Ventures, to which Civic Ledger is a portfolio company of that. So he has a fantastic relationship with the Chinese uh, fintech relationship as well as uh, Silicon Valley. So we've got a great team in Civic Ledger. Yeah, that, <coughs> that makes sense. So you mentioned before you come from the public sector. Yes. Um, so it, it sounds as though you are a, you're across the technology, you know it backwards. Has that always been the case? Was your role in the public sector a technology one or have you had a change of course? No, I guess um, my, my beginnings, my beginnings of government, um, I, I, I'm a sociologist by background, so I did humanities at my university, which was, I don't really think you can do straight humanities anymore, but um, so I'm, I come from a bit of a sociologist background, sociology, philosophy, political, blah, blah, blah. So it's a really a critical and analytical thinking, I guess. So my career in government started accidentally. Um, everything I've like done so is, many careers do yeah really. everything's been a bit of an accident you find mm. yourself in an opportunity instead of actually staying within the status quo that they've given you to do I've always created something different mm -hmm. um, being very attuned to what's going on in the environment and then create a job yeah and that's what I've done basically all my life um, so I started with the state government and started working on the first ever grant program to address natural disasters in this country. So I started to get an idea of how to leverage money. Mm -hmm. How can local governments or entities use a bit of their money to get other bits of money uh, to make something happen, um, to make a significant change? And that's been a theme, I guess, of my entire career. You know, I've always looked at opportunities to say, well, if we can look at it this way and look at it that way and look at it different way of solving the problem, then we can actually get these amazing outcomes. And that led me to, from state government into local government, so I spent some time in Brisbane City Council, mm -hmm. um, working through the floods and everything like that. So we were responsible for, we set up a team um, in corporate finance that had to maintain two, two levels of revenue. We had to uh, facilitate the natural disaster relief and recovery arrangements to recover from the flood event. So we were the first ever team that negotiated a drawdown facility from the Queensland Reconstruction Authority or the federal government on disaster relief. Because what happens is when you go, when local governments through, go through disasters, uh, they have to claim, they have to spend all the money first and claim it back. Mm -hmm. And it's onerous and it's all compliance and it's proof and that's another blockchain opportunity there. <laughs> um, but it, it drains their cash flow. So because it was such a huge event, we were able to negotiate a drawdown facility based on estimated damage damages. Um, and from that, we were able to get cash flow into local governments across Queensland to start fixing and recovering. So, so far I'm hearing a pretty traditional kind of job here. I'm not hearing technology or... No, no. no. And I think, I think one of the things, maybe some listeners may resonate with this, it's technology is not supposed to be intrusive. Hmm. 
If it is, then it's not working. I think if we can, you know, everyone uses, you know, Apple's philosophy is, you know, Steve Jobs, everyone goes back to Steve and Steve Wozniak, but, you know, it has to be elegant. Technology is about changing an experience so emotional that you can never go back. And I think, you know, when we think about all the developments that have happened since 1994 with the internet, and we didn't get smartphones until 20, 2008, you know, that's nearly nine years ago, but we can't live without this technology anymore. It's become such a part, it's an emotional connection. So when we think about technology, yes, we have community that focus on the code, which is mm. great, because that's their protocol mm. and that's their rules and that's where they live by. But then you have an experience and it's not until you actually have an experience. And that's where you've, you said you create opportunities for yourself yes. and that's where through your existing um, work that you were doing yes. and your understanding of what the technology has the capacity yes. to do to, to change, change us, yes. that you've seen it and you've jumped off one course and yes. jumped on a train going yes. um, in a, in a yes. same but different way. Yes. So, uh, two, uh, just over two years ago, I was um, just doing my job, normal, mm. normal life. You know, that thing, the expectation of doing the Monday to Friday, nine to five, you know, doing the right thing that you're supposed to do with life. And I had an experience, and it's, it's always funny, it always starts with the word yes. You know when someone comes up to you and says, Brad, you know, there's this great thing over here, how about you come and have a look at this? And you've got two choices. Mm -hmm. And it's in a nanosecond. It's a yes or a no. Yeah. And if you actually let yourself say yes and just say yes, that's when things change. So just over two years ago, I had an opportunity where somebody put something in front of me and said, you know, you know, we're going to do this. Would you like to try? Would mm -hmm. you like to participate? And I had gone back into my organization. I said, look, we've got this opportunity. It's starting to look at some things differently, how we solve problems. Do you want to participate? I got a resounding no. No, 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 we don't do that. We don't do that stuff. So I went back to the guy and I said, yes. If I'm not gonna get my team to come, I'm gonna go do this. So, we, so I did. And that led to me meeting some interesting people that gave me a different point of view. We did some amazing stuff in this. I'm not going to give any details because then it will start revealing a few things about me. But we um, we did some amazing stuff that made me really rethink about um, the way we look at problems, the way we deliver services to the community that have so much trust in us. Took it back to the organisation and went, da-da. And all I got was, no, no. No, we like doing the way things, you know, it's all about us. We like the way things are done here. And that moment, I just kind of went, you know what? I'm going to say no. And I walked, quit, gone. And since then, I've been on this massive ride. Did you have any sort of feeling of, oh, shit, what have I just done at all? Or was it so no, overwhelmingly no, like, I yes, think, yes, yes? <laughs> I think, and I guess this is something that, like I, I work at Fishburners here in Brisbane in the co-working facility and it's funny because we all have this thing inside of us that we just don't, and it's great because we don't have to like explain to each other what that is. But it, no, I think, I think what it was was, it wasn't like, oh my God, what have I done? It's like, 
what the hell have I been waiting for? Yeah, you know what? I was going to ask you this question and I think you've just answered it for me. Like, would you have done it sooner if the opportunity had presented itself? And I think that is yes. You know, like, yeah. you know, where have you been, my... Well, I guess I started, you know, I, you know, I've been, you could say, you know, right back when I was 14. <laughs> I remember challenging the status quo. Like I remember mm. getting expelled from schools. I didn't finish school because I was I was I was too difficult. Um, I went, you know, I, I was in the eighties high school space, and for anyone who remembers what that was like, you know, you were you were never allowed to think. You were never allowed to challenge. You weren't allowed to have critical thought. You just had to sit there and take the curriculum. And if you wrote left-handed, you were forced to write right-handed. Um, that would have been crap for me. I'm left-handed. Well, that's just, <laughs> but that's the way it was back then. You know, that's why. Yeah. You know, point taken. Um, so, I guess right back then, I just had, I just kind of was always asking, why do we do things this way? Can't we look at it things differently? And that's just been a, mm. a journey of my life. And it's, it's not until you have the capacity to harness that, instead of pissing people off, which I did because I was so, I'm an external, I'm an. Ex I'm an external thinker and an external speaker. Yeah. So I'm I'm an intro, I'm an extrovert. And when you're an extrovert and you have this energy where you just want to like question everything, it causes discomfort. Mm. Especially with people who are introverted and or don't know how to take my messages. Um, so there's been a <laughs> But have you would you say that you found your tribe now? Yeah, I mean absolutely. Yeah, and it's and it's always a journey. Like you find, you find your little bits of tribes on the journey who yeah. actually will give you things to think about, or new skill sets, or new relationships that build you as a person. And I wasn't until I left school, because I had to leave school, because <laughs> <laughs> I was told to leave. Um, interesting enough, when I finished, when I left home at eighteen, I started to find my tribe. You know, I was able to become a gothic because it's you know stuff. Really? Like, yeah, yeah, I was okay. a goth. So yeah, I went through all my goth stage and then I found house music and I became a house head and I worked for Fiasco and I was selling clothes and Doc yeah. Martens and all that sort of stuff. And it wasn't until I found my creativity um, because school just wouldn't let me have that that I actually started finding another tribe and those tribe of people accepted me who I was. Yeah. Um, just who I was, just whatever, you know, whatever hair I looked had on or clothes I was wearing. Yeah, I think it's a bit more than that though sometimes. There's a certain energy that you feel when you're around your yes. tribe and it's not just a, oh, you you're, you just don't criticise what I wear. You know, you can feel it's right. Yeah, yeah, and then, then that gives you more confidence to, yeah. to build who you are as a person. So when you're 18, you know, you still don't have frontal lobe. <laughs> Everything's just in the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember living in New Farm back then in those days. And we now know, you know, that the real estate prices in New Farm. But back Not then... Not back then. But back then, nobody lived in New Farm, you know. You, you were just considered as a freak if you lived in New Farm. Like, what are you doing down there? So, and we lived at the beach. We lived in the valley. It was just great. And and then I... And when I... Then the... the <laughs> Anyone who grew up in this, in Queensland in the 80s and was living under the oppression of the Ethiopian and government, we all left. Yep. You know, so we all bailed off and went to Sydney and again found another tribe, another amazing tribe of people. And then came back and I had to realise at 21 I had to get my shit together and um, I went back to school. But geez, that's a, oh, so you went back to school yeah, at 21? Yeah, I went back to school. I had to go to Cooper High to get my senior. Yep. 
and still didn't know what I was going to do. Would you say that that's an important thing, though, to get your your, your, your oh, high school finished? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I always knew at some point that I'd get my shit together, but yeah. I had to do it under my terms, I guess. Um, that's why I don't really worry about my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's having that faith is, you know, that they will turn yeah, out okay and absolutely. it's okay to be you know, because, you know, young and dumb and you having have fun. To. I always say, you know, you've got to be, you've got to act your age because you only get one opportunity. You get only one opportunity to be 18 and yeah. 19 and 20 and 21 because all of a sudden you find yourself in your 30s and you've got all this responsibility and then you're in your 40s and then you're going, what the hell's going on? So it's really important to really embrace, and now I call it the, I call it because I'm, you know, so much older now, I call it my one suitcase philosophy. Yep. You know, when, when I have young people around me, because I'm getting that a bit more often now because of what we do. You're almost giving it away exactly how old if people join the dots together. <laughs> and people, you know, young kids are like, and I'm like going, don't take, don't buy possessions. Don't, mm. don't go buy a house yet. Don't, don't buy that lounge don't buy anything. What you need, what is really critical is experiencing stuff. Mm. So maintain that one suitcase experience. So if you want to go, you can go. Put one suitcase together and go. Go have your experiences. Live your life. Don't feel that you have to get straight into that job or finish your, your master's by the time you're 21. Oh, my God, no. Don't do that. <laughs> because, because... There's a, there's a I attest to all of that. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Yeah. Slightly different order. But yeah, but we got there in the end. Yeah. We got mm. there in the end and it's been a bit of a hell of a ride. It does. And that's a, probably a really beautiful note to end it because I say you do have your shit together. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. Still, no, I mean, getting there, but I'm in a far that's better what, place, I guess. Yeah. And, um, you know, the business of Civic Ledger is obviously in its infant kind of state yeah. right now is yeah. the so technology we're, we're is... here in and we're we're just about to go through our next stage of growth but yes the technology is nascent is what we say but the only way that we can continue and this is the thing that we you know we talk to our clients a lot about in our community because we run the meetups here in brisbane as well um is that the only way that we can build strength into this tech is by exploring, by doing. You know, don't kick it. Don't kick tires. Don't look at it and read it and go, well, that's really quite interesting. You've got to get stuff going. You've got to, it's, you've just got to do it. It's like, you know, 25, 27 years ago when people said the internet would ever take off. Well, it did. Mm. So, shut up and do something. <laughs> and, if, and if people want to get in contact with you or Civic Ledger, what's the best way? Um... Uh, go to our website, so we've got, it's www.civicledger.com. We've got all the contact details there, so you can get hold of us. Uh, we've got Twitter, LinkedIn, um, but we we basically run three meetups here in Brisbane. Um, we do, our, our CTO runs the Bitcoin blockchain meetup, so he's been doing that since 2013. We've now got nearly 1,100 members. Uh, we contribute to the Ethereum Brisbane meetup, and I also run the Brisbane Women in Blockchain meetup here at Fishburners, but you can get all this on social and things like that. Fabulous. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if you've got people beating down your social media doors um, to, to get a hold of you. So uh, thank you very much. Oh, you're I've welcome, loved Brad. it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Katrina. Um, such a lovely conversation to have with you. I could have gone on for hours. Uh, and in fact, I think there's a part two there. Thank you for being a part of the show. Uh, 
If you want to get a hold of me, um, please reach out to me at the Executive Stories website. Um, you can find me, Brad Vinning, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And uh, any feedback or comments or you need any legal advice about anything, please just give me a bell. See you next time.